I was one of the guys that was first riding the Lamar Jackson hype train. It was crazy to think back before you guys even drafted him. There was questions surrounding the team. There was questions surrounding what we were going to do. And, and I literally typed on Twitter, just start Lamar Jackson. That was my <laughs> calling card. It's like, just start Lamar Jackson. More defenses would be intelligent to stack the box. One of two things is going to happen. Either he's not going to have quite as many rushing yards, or he's going to be able to bust some runs where there's very few second level defenders that he has to deal with. Like you could look at that and spin it to be a positive. I think we're going to see more passing out of Lamar and defenses are going to stack the box and it's going to be tight for him to exceed that 1,000 yard mark. We opened up saying you're a friend of the Ravens. You would never, ever provide any information scouting against Lamar Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I cannot comment on that, but what I will say is... <laughs> Welcome into the lounge. We have an interesting guest this week, not our usual kind of player guest. We're bringing on Warren Sharp from SharpFootballAnalysis.com. Really, oh, sharp guy. I bet he's never heard He's never yeah, heard I'm that. I'm sure he's never heard that one before. Never heard that. <laughs> oh, I'm going to file that. I got to remember that from when we talked to him. Yeah. Remind me. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, really excited to talk to Warren, who is a, a big supporter of Lamar Jackson. Big <laughs> supporter of Lamar Jackson. And thus, that makes him a friend of the lounge. A friend of Lamar's is a friend of the lounge. Yeah, you can follow Warren at Sharp Football on Twitter. And anyone who's been doing that for the last year knows that he's been telling everyone for a long time that Lamar was going to be really good and then kind of making everybody aware that he told them that all the way back in 2018 and before last season. So he was one of the early guys on the bandwagon. Uh, but before we jump into the interview with Warren, we do want to say hello to our friends from Ram. Passionate fans, winning traditions, and legendary toughness are why Ram trucks and Ravens football go hand in hand. When it comes to power, luxury, and technology like an available 12-inch Uconnect touchscreen, you can't find a better light-duty or heavy-duty truck. Go to Ram.com to find your local Ram dealer, schedule a test drive, and experience everything that goes into making dependable Ram trucks. Great deals are going on right now, so shop online at Ram.com and get your new Ram truck delivered to your door. So, without any further ado, let's go ahead and welcome in our guest, Warren Sharp. Well, we are thrilled to have on Warren Sharp, who's an analytics expert, uh, breaks down the NFL from a film perspective, just really awesome. And Warren is also a friend of the Ravens because we see you, Warren. We see you on Twitter. And, you know, you've, you've got our back and you got Lamar's back, so we appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me, guys, first of all. And and absolutely, I mean, I was one of the guys that was first, I think, on, at least from a national perspective, uh, really riding the Lamar Jackson hype train. Uh, you know, I know it was crazy to think back, was it like in, in before you guys even drafted him, there was like the team, there was questions surrounding the team, there was questions surrounding what we were going to do. And, and I literally typed on Twitter, just start Lamar Jackson that was my <laughs> calling card it's like I, I know there's questions about what you know the win losses and the record and and the fans and the stands all this stuff just start Lamar Jackson um and uh and of course he got that I was so impressed by how quickly you made that transition 
during that 2018 season and just completely converted your entire offense. And ever since then, I've just been really impressed with the job Greg Roman and John Harbaugh have done there. Well, I really love the article last August that you wrote that was called, it was headlined, You Are Wrong About Lamar Jackson. That was like the bold statement. It was like, boom, in your face. (laughs) You're looking pretty good on that one right now. Yeah, I, I, I think I am. Um, obviously through no, through, through, uh, you know, entirely what he has done, um, and the system that he's, he's put in and the buy-in from the team. But absolutely, uh, I think it was really interesting. The tone from the national media after you lost the game to the Chargers in that 2018 playoff season, uh, was, was like, oh, I don't know if Lamar can get it done. I don't know if he's a good enough passer. What's going to happen if he's, and, and, I was like, let's pump the brakes here. This was actually the perfect way for them to lose because, in my opinion, I know it sounded a little bit contrarian, but the fact that they weren't passing the ball early enough in that game and trusting enough to Lamar, he can get it done. He's going to be able to pass the football in this system. Look at what he's done statistically. And, of course, you know, you you saw what happened. He burst onto the scenes through the air. We knew what he could do on the ground, but through the air to start the 2019 season – uh, and he really hasn't stopped. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I continue to believe that there really is no limitation to what you guys are capable of doing. Uh, certainly, there was a lot of bad luck involved in, in what happened to end your 2019 season. Uh, but more often than not, you're going to have good things go your way. And I'm really optimistic about the direction you guys are heading with him at the helm. So I'm curious, what was it about Lamar early on that made you one of the first people to jump on the bandwagon? Like, does this go back to college? And what did you see in his ability that, because I, I understood some of the questions around him, not all of them. I didn't understand the idea of him playing wide receiver, but I understood some of the questions around him. So what was it that you saw that you felt like he could be a franchise quarterback and completely change some elements of the NFL? Well, I think there, you do not, people overestimate, exactly what you absolutely have to do as your ceiling as a passer if when when you don't look at what you can do as a rusher and i think the dual threat element that he brought to the table is so valuable in the nfl you know we saw what what like even rg3 was able to do when he came into the league with the dual threat and there's a lot of guys i mean russell wilson is less traditional dual threat but his the ability to run and create plays, extend plays, create offense out of structure is something that you can't teach. You either have that ability uh, physically, you're gifted with it, and you're instinctual and you're quick enough to make those types of things, or you're not. It's not something that you're going to be able to coach up. And he was one of the guys who had that. And I felt like, yes, his passing is not maybe, especially at Louisville, when might not be as polished as some other guys when you're looking at the traditional drop-back pocket, prototypical quarterback. And I think that's the issue that a lot of teams saw in him where you're like, okay, Joe Flacco to Lamar Jackson. Joe Flacco is the traditional, prototypical, big, tall, strong-armed drop-back passer who hangs out in the pocket, who looks downfield. But as we saw you know, Lamar was able to do more with the football team because of everything else he brought to the table. And I just felt like they were going to be able to, in today's era, you can design enough. If you bring these other aspects to the table, you can design enough through the passing game to really raise the ceiling of your team more so than if you've got a guy who's just a traditional dropback passer, who's 
eh, okay, he's, he, he's, he's fine, you know, but he doesn't present any of these other things that are going to make the defense second guess. And the, the thing that was so, you know, that's what I thought going into the season. That's what I liked, his excitement, the energy, all the different aspects he brought to the table. But then I am convinced that we would not have seen Lamar do what he did in 2018 and 2019 were it not for the offense. You know, Greg Roman and Harbaugh and complete buy-in to change everything and throw out whatever else we were doing and we're going to just build around him. Lamar could have gone to some teams that wanted him to fit into a little bit more of what they were doing and fit into the offensive structure a little bit more. And he would not have been where we saw him. Uh, so there's a large part that goes to what I felt confident that the coaching staff was going to be able to do with him in Baltimore that he may not have gotten had he gone to another team like, like a Jacksonville Jaguars or somebody like that who really wasn't going to be as creative as I thought that they needed to be. Well, two, two things that you mentioned there that kind of catch my attention. You know, one just being kind of, I think, a, a point of what you're saying is yards are yards, right? I mean, it doesn't matter how you get the yards. Yards are yards. So maybe, you know, Lamar didn't throw for the most yards last year and he didn't throw for the most yards in college. I mean, he still put up pretty gaudy stats. But if you're rushing, for your breaking rushing records, like you're moving the football down the field, that's the point of the game. You know? And exactly. And the other thing, too, that makes it very difficult for opposing teams is do something, my, my mantra, do something differently and do it well. When you do right. something differently, just like the Patriots trotted out so much 21 personnel with the fullback and other teams aren't used to dealing with a fullback running on the field as often. Or just like Sean McVay had a lot of success when he first came out with this 11 personnel like 95% of the time. Like Defenses aren't used to dealing with that and they play teams 15 games out of the year that don't do that. And all of a sudden the one game they have to play a team that does something dramatically different. How much time are they able to practice against that? How much preparation are they able to do in the off season? Are they building their personnel to be able to deal with that style of offense because they don't face that, but one game out of 16. So that's the, well, obviously out of division, but the point being like, right. you're going to get a lot of advantages when you have something that's very unique. Mm -hmm. the kind of the second point is you know it's interesting that greg roman came on staff before the ravens had lamar jackson i mean the year before right and he came on as really kind of the run game coordinator and it's just it's just crazy how that worked out it's almost like the ravens saw into the future that hey we're gonna we're gonna change this offense because lamar fits greg so well i mean you had kaepernick and and tyrod and like it's like a perfect marriage and it's just it is wild and, and fortuitous that the ravens had Greg Roman when they drafted Lamar. I mean, that's no, that's no coincidence, but it, it was a coincidence that Greg was already on staff. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I was lobbying actually, you know, they didn't, they didn't select him with the first pick of the first round. Um, and I was lobbying at the time, like for them at that spot to take Lamar because Greg was on staff. And I knew what Greg had done, as you mentioned with Kaepernick and with Tyrod Taylor. And I thought it he was the perfect guy to get his hands on Tyrod uh, sorry, on Lamar and work with him and right. design an offense around him. Mm -hmm. So on Greg, I'm curious, what do you think about the way he builds his offense? He uses a ton of tight ends. Uh, like Ryan just said, kind of a perfect marriage between what he does and what Lamar does. But do you think that we're going to see more teams, more coordinators try to build an offense that looks like what Greg Roman has built here in Baltimore? 
Well, I think if they try, they'll probably fail because they don't have Lamar Jackson. And the, that changes things a little bit. That, that, yeah, that changes things completely when you have a guy like Lamar. Now, you can build an offense that's very heavy personnel based and have a ton of success. And I actually think that that's something that is a big advantage in today's football. I think that there are defenses that have been so used to dealing with 11 personnel as the base offensive personnel set now that they've brought on defenders that fit their ability to play 11 personnel well, that now you act like a Kyle Shanahan where he uses a lot of 21 or some 12 and you mix and match what the Patriots were able to do a lot of, which is not a lot of 11, but a lot of more heavy personnel groupings. Even the Saints are very low on 11 personnel. So it doesn't take long for you to look around the league and just see some of the better teams that have more success on offense use a lot more heavy personnel because you can be very multiple out of that and you can dictate what a defense is doing. I mean, I posted literally a couple days ago a quote from Kyle Shanahan about uh, about the, the fullback out on the field. And Kyle Shanahan said, anytime you have a fullback on the field, it limits what the defense does. Uh, and it's very true, especially with other heavy personnel groupings um, out there. You can really dictate what they do or limit some of the creativity and things that they do with that personnel that they have out there. And it's just an advantage to the offense, especially when you have guys that can block, they can run block well, they can go out on routes and receive good enough, or they're really a plus receiver but can do an average job of blocking. When you mix and match guys like that, it really can confuse the defense and give you a big upper hand. That's the thing that I try to tell teams when I do consulting work the, the most often is when you are an offense in today's NFL, all the rules basically are geared towards giving you an advantage. Offenses have the advantages over defense. The only thing, one of the only things that you can do to give chips back and to make their stack a little bit bigger is to be too predictable. As long as you're very unpredictable, you should have an advantage offensively with uh, acceptable level of play. And, uh, and so being creative and uh, just very, very diverse is something that Greg really does well. Well, I got to believe that you're a big fan of then Patrick Ricard as the fullback for the Ravens at 300 pounds of, you know, converted defense alignment from Maine. You don't see too many guys get to the NFL and change positions to the offensive side of the ball from defensive line, but you got to love what he gives the Ravens at 300 pounds coming in there in the backfield. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the fullback in general uh, because anything that gets like phased out because people think it's archaic and then some teams can bring it back. You know, you know, inherently that opposing teams aren't built to deal with it quite as often. And so Mm -hmm. I like being one of the few teams that really can employ that. Um, You know, you guys, if if you look at, I think a lot of the things that you guys did really well last year, uh, one of the best things is building halftime leads, coming out the gates early and performing well. And I don't think a lot of people talk about that. Uh, People get so caught up in, you know, I'll just go like league wide, right? What is the biggest thing that coaches preach um, is we can't lose the turnover battle. We got to be careful with the football. Why? Because that translates to wins and losses. If you lose the turnover battle, you're going to lose 78% of your game. But guess what else has the same exact uh, win-loss rate? teams that are down at halftime. If you're down at halftime, you're going to lose 78% of your game. So getting a halftime lead, being aggressive really, and in the first half of games, you guys were the best rushing offense out of 11, best rushing offense out of 12, second best out of 21, third best out of 22. I mean, you used a lot of different personnel groupings and you did a lot of things really well out of them. 
Well, and and you build a halftime lead and you have an offense that can run the ball like the Ravens, you can protect that lead too, you know. And a secondary like the Ravens, where you know you're gonna the opponent's gonna be throwing the ball a lot, you're better set up. Uh, what one question for you that I thought of as a follow up is, you know, you talked about these offenses like the Rams last year who surprised teams by by the, you know using a lot of different formations and using them a lot than people were used to. Now that teams have seen the Ravens and what they do, I think the next big question for 2020 is, well, do they adjust? You know, the Steelers, the Bengals, the Browns, now that they've seen what the Ravens have, you know, John Harbaugh talked about it. We're no longer the iceberg. Everybody knows it's coming now. You know, we're not going to catch anybody by surprise. Are these teams, do you think that they're able to catch up personnel-wise and coaching-wise, preparation-wise, that they will be able to catch up to the Ravens this, this season? Well, when you look across the league, right, like I don't think a team like the Redskins or the Jaguars or the Giants or the, you know, the the Texans were doing anything this offseason with the mindset of like, well, we got to play the Ravens once. But right. a team right. like the Steelers or a team like the Browns might be thinking along those lines. And one thing that I noticed when I went through, you know, your divisional rematch games is that every single defense opted to go with heavier boxes. Um, so, like, when the Steelers played you guys the first time, 35% of the time they were using six-man boxes or less. Uh, they dropped that down from 35% to 10%. The Bengals dropped it down from 33% down to 22%. The Browns went from 33% down to 8%. They were trying to, like, bring more guys in there to slow down the run. Um, and, and so that's probably what we're going to see more often. And that's where some of the comments that – John Harbaugh made this past off season about Lamar Jackson being able to take advantage of that by attacking deeper over the top and passing the ball against those uh, boxes that are a little bit heavier inherently is going to be the next step in the evolution of the way that you guys are going to be able to beat teams. Um, I think, you know, I don't want to go back to it to bring up bad memories, but looking back to the way that, you guys played against the Tennessee Titans in the playoffs last season, right? Um, there was something a little bit different there. So weeks one to 16 opposing defenses typically kept seven men in the box uh, 50% of the time. And only 27% of your runs did they have six or fewer men in the box. Um, and I just mentioned a lot of the defenses that you played, you know, the second time went from like right around just over 30% down to like sometimes in, in the 10 to single digit percent. Uh, but the Tennessee Titans put six or fewer defenders in the box on 45% of early downs through the first three quarters of the game. So it's not like uh, we got to pass the ball all the time, fourth quarter type deal. We're down so much. Er, the first three quarters on early downs, only they put six or fewer defenders in the box, 45%. That is a ton. But here's the thing against those light boxes. So they dropped people back in coverage. But against yeah. the slight boxes, you guys ran the ball just 28% of the time. Now, you crushed it when you ran. You ran eight yards per carry and a 67% success rate. Uh, but you passed the ball 72% of the time. That was the big thing I don't think a lot of people were discussing based on what I saw when I broke down that game. I mean, against those uh, lighter boxes where Jackson was passing more, he only went 11 of 23, 4.2 yards per attempt, 45% success rate. Very poor production there, but they were crushing it on the ground against those light boxes. So I think the evolutions here are twofold. Number one, you want to be able to 
uh, let Jackson audible enough at the line of scrimmage such that when he sees these lighter boxes that he can switch to a run play. Now, it's not as if we need to tell the Ravens to run the football more often <laughs> typically. Like that, That's not a problem that you guys had. But in the playoffs, that game against – In that game, they should have. <laughs> in that game, they should have. And then the other thing, of course, is – when, when defenses do bring those heavier guys down in the box, like we saw some adjustments from your divisional foes, we need Lamar to be able to pass the ball over the top of those guys uh, with some success. And I think he made some moves this offseason to, to help him do that with, you know, uh, some of the pieces. And I, I hope that you're going to be able to, to get the time to develop him even further as a passer. And I'm confident that that's going to be the case. Well, Warren, you must not have been listening to Baltimore Sports Talk Radio after that playoff loss because there were a few people talking about the run-pass ratio. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. I, I didn't. You know, I, I was actually. You know what I was doing after that game? I was the guy. Do you remember seeing the Game of Thrones? I don't know if you guys either watched the Game of Thrones, uh, where the one guy I forget the main character, the character's name, who's standing there on the battlefield, and he's it's like a meme, and all these mm-hmm. dudes are attacking him, and he's standing there by himself with just like his shield and his sword, going up against like hundreds, hundreds of people. From that's what I felt like on Twitter after that game, where all the Lamar Jackson haters were just coming out. They were having a, <laughs> and I was standing there on Twitter defending him to the death uh, because you know I just felt like there was that game. First of all forget all the detailed stuff that really like could have played a difference. It's a tipped ball here. You guys know that it's like, it's like yep. this un, just a completely unlucky game. But when you dig past that, when you scrape that off the surface, that was something I thought that they could have done a little bit differently in that game. Um, but I have a lot of confidence in that they're in good hands uh, in the future. Nice. Well, I know that you have a detailed breakdown of that in your book, which is available for pre-sale right now on your website, Sharp Football Analysis. It's Warren Sharp's 2020 football preview. So fans, make sure you check that out. One thing that we want to ask you about is how the Ravens have really embraced analytics. Obviously, this is something uh, that is near and dear to you, and you can just tell by listening um, that you have a very analytical approach to how you discuss football. Uh, the Ravens have been one of the early adopters of this. I mean, it's it's gone back several years. Uh, John Harbaugh it involves it in his game planning, involves it in game management on Sundays. Eric DaCosta has put a lot into analytics from a player personnel standpoint. What do you think about the way that the Ravens have, the approach that the Ravens have taken to analytics, both from a player development or player personnel standpoint and from a coaching standpoint? It's the right thing to do. Um, there's no doubt about it. It's the right thing to do. More teams need to be digging deeper here because uh, there's a lot to be uncovered with analytics. We have more data than we've ever had before. There's more and better player tracking data than we've ever had access to before. Teams now have access to all other 31 teams player tracking data, which we didn't used to have. And beyond that, like there's so much from a variety of um, uh, aspects of the game that can be gained, whether we're talking about pre-game preparation for your opponent, whether we're talking about better ways of self-scouting, whether we're talking about in-game decision-making, like there's a lot that can be gained there. And, you know, it's funny to me, I hear a guy like Jason Garrett last season talking about, you know, the like in-game win percentage and is it something that they look at in-game? And his quote was something to the effect of, we review it between weeks, but we don't look at it in game. It's like, well, that's the whole purpose of it is to use it during the game to help make better decisions. The, what's the benefit looking at after the fact just to see how many mistakes you 
cost yourself. So um, the Ravens do a great job of using analytics in game. They use analytics pregame. They use analytics for self scouting. Uh, they're probably studying tendencies around the rest of the league, conducting a lot of studies. Um, using it from a drafting perspective, looking at guys from college, what aspects of them translate the best. They're, they're literally like we, we have the eyeball test. We have a lot of things that we can do with our eyes and with our scouts. And there's important things that can be gained from all of that. And that's not something that should be a hundred percent replaced by utilizing more analytics. Uh, but you absolutely need to consult with the numbers and consult with better numbers and continue to strive to work to get better numbers, more effective numbers into your decision-making process. And I think the Ravens are at the forefront, absolutely, of how they incorporate the analytics and the people that run the analytics into their system on a day-to-day basis throughout everything that they're doing, all processes, all decisions, and it's very commendable. Do you know our guy, Daniel Stern, who's in coaching analytics? Yeah. I, I, I actually have met uh, with Daniel uh, before and uh, was, was very impressed with him. Yes, I, I do know him. <laughs> oh, he's always a fun conversation. He's yeah. great. Who, who I'm, yeah, I'm curious. Like you, you said you consult with teams like you're a consultant. Uh, is that like a lot of teams? Have the Ravens ever reached out to you? I'm just curious. Um, I can't, I can't really get into the details. Uh, <laughs> but gotcha. what I, what I do is I do a lot of, work from a strategical perspective helping with upcoming game plans for various opponents and so it does incorporate self-scout it does incorporate um a lot of opponent weaknesses and ways that we can attack them and i I basically am working in season preparing reports and giving it to teams you know like nine days eight days before they're about to play their upcoming opponent so that they have the report in advance of when they're doing their own uh pre-game work so that they can incorporate it into their process. And, you know, some of the teams that I'm, I'm assisting are already very analytical in their approach, but my outside the box way that I look at things at times and also a voice from outside the building sometimes leads to new thoughts and new ideas uh, that aren't being circulated and discussed inside in the building. Um, you know, I've had opportunities and offers to work full-time for a singular team but um, I've chosen to continue to do what I do, which is like a, a, a consulting service uh, working for a couple of different teams. Now, Warren, mm-hmm. we, we, we teased you here. We opened up saying you're a friend of the Ravens. You would never, ever provide any information scouting against Lamar Jackson. Now, <laughs> 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 I, I, I cannot comment on that, but what I will say... <laughs> oh, Warren! <laughs> What, what I what I will say is is clearly you know the, there is value in what the services that I provide and if I was if I was working for a team I would certainly not work against that team at any point in time I'm not even going to work for another team within that division Ooh. so um, you can you can you can feel somewhat confident. <laughs> hey, so another thing that is uh, beyond working with with some teams another part of what you do is is you provide some insight for the betters out there you know for the gamblers to try to earn some people some money so i want to hit you with a couple of quick over-unders here um and get your perspective on these uh to see what we think all right so some are focused in on individual players some are team-based but um we can move quick on these so over under 13 wins for the ravens 
Yeah, I mean, always when you're talking about sports betting, number one, I'll go ahead and tease the book, the, the 2020 <laughs> football preview, because there's a lot of stuff that's going to be in there and it's going, going to go live beginning of July. But um, with regard to betting, okay, the first thing that you have to think about is value. It's not just whether or not something could happen, but is there value in tying up your money and placing your bet? And when you're talking about these full season win totals, you're talking about tying up your money all the way until the beginning of January. Um, so betting on a team to go over 13 wins is really not something that is going to be profitable long-term, regardless of who the team is, because we know injuries occur and it's very difficult to do that. I think the Ravens are well positioned, uh, but I think that it's not something I would think presents a lot of value from a betting perspective. Hmm. Hmm. How about over under a thousand rushing yards for Lamar Jackson? I mean, this is always kind of one of those debates. Is he going to run the ball less? Should he run the ball less? Last year, he went over a thousand yards in about 14 games because he sat out the last game and sat out basically a full another game with all all the fourth quarters he spent on the bench. Um, So over under a thousand rushing yards for Lamar. Yeah, that one um, I I think is similarly tricky because the element that he has going for him which I think is really unique this season is only one team gets a bye week. And when you look at that, there's going to be more competition for that spot and teams down the stretch aren't going to be able to let up the gas. And, you know, like he did, didn't, was able to sat, sit out one game. I mean, that's probably going to be unlikely this upcoming season. So that's actually one of the things that I'm focusing on when I'm studying these teams, just to digress a little bit. Like, I love how you have a week eight bye, but then you also have a mini bye between week 13 and 14, where you play on Thursday night and then not again until Monday. That's a long stretch of extra rest late in the season. And right. hopefully you're going to have, you know, that, that, buy week but it's not guaranteed but at least with a very late mini buy that's going to help your team in terms of Lamar look uh, you can always talk about him being dinged up I personally don't think that there is a lot of value in going over a thousand rushing yards but I'm absolutely not betting against Lamar Jackson I'm not going to just because you don't take the over doesn't mean you automatically want to take the under there's no chance I would bet against him to do that but I do think like we saw this past season um more defenses would be intelligent to stack the box, to put more defenders there. And we saw all three teams that played them twice last season do that very thing. So if more teams are going to put more defenders in the box, one of two things is going to happen. Either he's not going to have quite as many rushing yards, number one, or, or he's going to be able to bust some runs where there's very few second level defenders that he has to deal with. Like you could look at that and spin it to be a positive. I think we're going to see more passing out of Lamar and defenses are going to stack the box and it's going to be tight for him to exceed that 1000 yard mark. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, Warren, you, you kind of teased it before we let you go. I just wanted to kind of ask you an open-ended question. You said you were just uh, wrapping up your book, Warren Sharp's 2020 football preview, which will be out in a month. It's available for pre-sale at sharpfootballanalysis.com. You already wrote the Ravens chapter. Can you give us any kind of preview on some interesting nuggets from that? Um, Yeah, there's, you know, uh, digging into kind of what you've done defensively. And obviously there's a lot of Lamar Jackson love in there, but you're (laughs) certainly talking about the pass rush, um, some of the improvements you made. I'm a big Patrick Queen fan, so I can just tell you that much off the top. I think he's going to be a great three-down player for you right away. Um, I think 
you know, I do talk a little bit about what is the next step in this offense? What are defenses going to do a little bit more of? What are the stats behind that? Uh, how did the Ravens perform against those things? And talk a little bit about the projections for the 2020 season. Um, so there's a lot in every single team chapter as to understanding what happened last year and why it happened, and then discussing the changes and the evolution of this team and what I think they should do next year from a personnel, a play calling perspective, um, as well as where I think they'll actually go. And for some teams, there's a little bit more discussion uh, in that area because you have different quarterbacks or different coaches and things of that nature. For you guys, I think that's another big advantage that you have this offseason is the continuity because right now we would have been having many camps already. We would have been having teams getting together to work on a lot of different things, getting to know some of the new players on that team. We don't have that, unfortunately. We but you guys are in such a great position whereby you didn't have a lot of changes structurally, uh, offensively. I know you've got a key piece that you have to replace, obviously, in like Marshall Yonda, but you guys have a lot of the bones of the same team that you brought last year that really crushed it, exceeded expectations, hit that 14 win mark. Um, so there's a lot going for you. I also think it's going to be interesting, again, digressing a little bit from your question, but the book touches on the element of with so many unknowns with this off season, that actually is an advantage to teams that not just have the continuity, but I think teams that are more analytically sound and analytically structured because they probably are making more intelligent decisions about what they want to study and cover in their Zoom meetings. I mean, it gets down to that level of detail whereby the general thought process that you've established by understanding analytics and factoring those more into your daily decisions will help you be better at the unknown and, and making more sound decisions. So I think you guys actually will have an edge compared to some other teams in how you're studying this offseason, what you're doing with your players uh, during the times you're able to visit with them when they can't be at the facilities. And I just think that this is a big advantage for you and teams that are built like you from an analytical perspective. That's great. Cool. Well, Warren, we really appreciate the time, the perspective, and the insight. Uh, thank you so much. And again, uh, fans, make sure you check out sharpfootballanalysis.com. Uh, Warren does a great job all year long, and uh, I'm sure that you're going to be uh, telling the good news about Lamar Jackson once again in 2020. So thanks so much. Uh, it's great to catch up with you. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Happy to do it anytime. Well, really good stuff from Warren. Uh, just a unique perspective. You know, I think it's been good. We brought in Ken McCusick break down film with us, bring a different perspective. We like, we got to bring on smarter people than us. And I know that limits the guests, right? <laughs> I mean, there's only a few people in the world, probably the whole world, uh-huh. but we find them. We, we, we seek them out and we get them on the pod. Well, that's, that's why if fans are wondering why we only have one podcast this week instead of, you know, multiple, that's why we've been seeking out <laughs> these people who are smarter than us and that really limits our options. So, <laughs> uh, we are down to one podcast a week right now. Uh, if you are, we will, we might have some weeks where we do multiple podcasts. It, it somewhat depends on what's happening. As fans know, uh, there has not been a lot of new developments, um, you know, in terms of player movements or anything like that. Um, there have been developments in that things are moving towards training camp and looking good in that department. Coaches are back in the building that this week, uh, which is really encouraging. That's a really good sign. Um, and did, then you, the NFL, did you roll in there behind him? You you right behind Harv's truck? I was not there. I think we had a great video guy who got that footage of Harbaugh Ooh. walking into the building this morning. Who might be editing this pod as well? 
Right. I think Give him a shout out. Our, our great videographer, Nick Modisette, best in the business, uh, who got that lovely shot of Coach Harbaugh walking into the building <laughs> today. Uh, but uh, things are moving in the right direction uh, for football this season without question. Um, so that's really good news. Um, and I hope hopefully the guys are on the field soon and, and we get to actually see practice and have that to discuss, which will be really good. So uh, we do have a couple emails that we want to read uh, before we wrap up today. Um, so here's one from Will Saunders. Will says, hey, Ryan and Garrett, thanks so much for, for replaying the Anquan Bolden interview and reading the Steve Bichotte during last week's podcast. Many agree that the Ravens have improved the roster since last season. With all the changes, how will situational football for the Ravens change? I have a scenario for you. Now, he wants to focus on the defense here. Uh, here's the scenario. Ravens at Steelers, fourth quarter, third and 12 for Pittsburgh at midfield. Ravens defense is on the field. They're up by three with a couple minutes left. <laughs> All right, that's this is like the game in Pittsburgh last year. Similar, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Which who are the eleven defenders that you expect to see on the field for Baltimore? Oh boy, we're going through the whole list. Okay, we got to go deep. Well, some of them are I easy. Mean, uh, All right, we'll go Earl Thomas, uh, Chuck Clark. Obviously, mm-hmm. I think we're going Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters. Yep, I expect Tavon Young would probably be on the field. I'm put. I would put Jimmy Smith on the field. How okay. about that? I'm going to add Jimmy Tavon, Smith as, as my extra Jimmy. DB. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have four DB. It's third and 12? Fourth and 12? Third and 12. Third and 12. Third and 12. Third and 12. Uh, can we make it fourth and 12? I mean, isn't that well, a Well, he said five, five minutes left. Five minutes left. Oh, okay. Five minutes left. Hmm. I mean, Jimmy could be on the field still. I mean, right. you know, that, Chuck that gives Clark. You six, it, that gives you six DBs. That's six DBs, which isn't certainly isn't unheard of. So, right. sure. I'm going Jimmy's on the field. Okay. Um. Patrick Queen is an inside linebacker, and he's the only inside linebacker on the field because Chuck Clark could also kind of drop down if need be with Jimmy on the field. Yep. Uh, and then, so now I'm at seven. Yes. Uh, we have Matt Judon. Judon. Matt Judon's eight. Let's say we have Tyus Bowser is nine. Eh, yeah, Tyus Bowser is nine because uh, we're talking pure pass rush. I think that he yeah. probably gets ahead of Jalen. At, 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 at that spot and, okay. and Purnell. Um, and then I'm going Calais Campbell, Derek Wolf, and Justin well, Matabike. Wait, I think you put like 15 guys on the field there. No, 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 no. How many was that? I, think I, had, you... I had three, up, I had three <laughs> up front. I had three up front. I had two outside linebackers. That's five. I have six. Oh, I, I'm, I'm one over. I had six with Queen and then I had six DBs. Ooh, who am I taking off? Who am I taking off? I'm taking Matt BK off. Sorry, sorry to the. Ro- what about Brandon Williams? You know, you think Brandon Williams is off? As Third the- twelve. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or Just maybe Tyus is off. Man, that's tough. When you got six DBs, you have six more spots. You can have three and three. What am I doing wrong here? Right. Some. No, or no, no. <laughs> I'm an idiot. You can have five more. Man, I got too many men on exactly. the field. There's 11 guys flags. on the field. This I got flags question. flying. I got flags flying everywhere <laughs> on this. Well, yeah, yeah. It's 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 now third and third and five because Mink put fourteen <laughs> guys on the field. <laughs> it's third and no, it's third and seven, brah. Twelve minus five. Your math is terrible. You, no, 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 no. You it's 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 third and it's <laughs> it's third and whatever. Uh, th- what is it? Fourth and twelve. Okay. See, okay. you're just as bad. It's You're 32 because you... both times, even after you adjusted, you still put too many guys on the field. You're an idiot too. See, this is why it's hard to find people who are smarter than us, right? It's tough. It's really tough. 
Oh, God. All right. Well, there's anyway. your question, uh, Will. I hope <laughs> that answered it. Wow. Yeah. We're not math majors. I-, I wasn't a math major. I can speak for myself. I know Garrett wasn't. You weren't well, a no, math I think, hey, Look, I-, I agree with you on the six DBs. I think that Tavon Young and Jamie would be out there and Patrick Queen. That gets you to seven. Then the two linebackers, the, the two outside linebackers are Judon and Tyus Bowser. And then yeah, but front, that, now you have two guys in the trenches. That's Grace right. and, and Wolf. Right, and if you want to get, I guess, right, which at 3rd and 12, that could be the case. Sure, yeah. Yeah, could be. Two-man rush. Yeah. It's um, interesting. Yeah, so good question. Appreciate it. Good question. Uh, Sorry for butchering it. Yes. Butchering I, the I had, I had to clean up. I had to clean up the scraps there. But oh, get out of here. You I can't had to clean up the scraps to try to answer the question. So don't you have an email? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I do have an email. Uh, this one comes from Leslie Wilkinson. And Leslie asked, uh, she says, hi there. I love the interview with DJ Fluker. Really appreciate how, appreciated how much he opened up and shared about himself, allowing us to get to know him. I have a feeling he will be a force to be reckoned with on the O-line this season. I agree. Uh, she does ask, let's try not to compare him with Marshall Yana because he's clearly uniquely himself. Um, so Leslie and says, it's also, also just unfair to compare anybody to Marshall Yanda, so there's also, that too. Also true. Um, Leslie said, I also wanted to mention that I love the idea of an international show, including fans from across the globe. My daughter and I live in Toronto and my son in Winnipeg, and all three of us are avid Ravens fans. You already know my love for Canada, Leslie. Already stated. Our love of the Ravens is a glue, a common interest as we go about our busy lives. Uh, we've been to games in Baltimore, Miami, and most recently in Buffalo. Go Ravens. So, I, I think we need to start making this happen, Garrett. I know, I don't think you were on the, the episode. I think it was the one with Cliff, right? With DJ Fluker, where we talked about doing the international pod. But are you down? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think it'd be great. I mean, if you remember, this is going back to when we played at London. We did a live episode of the lounge uh, from London, and we had a number of international fans who were in Europe. From a pub. From, from a, a pub, pub, which is London. the best place to do the lounge from. Exactly. Uh, so that was a lot of fun, and maybe we do a virtual version of that this year and have some international fans from all across the country jump on. I think that would be a lot of fun. I agree. So if if you want to be part of that, I'm going to start putting the wheels in motion here. If you want to be a part of that, email us at thelounge at ravens.nfl.net, and we'll see how much feedback we get from this, uh, if we can get like a good enough little crowd here, and uh, and we'll put it together. We'll make it happen. Yeah, for sure. So before we go, I want fans to know that with every new season, there's new challenges to overcome. And Ram trucks are built to crush every one of those. They're powerful, dependable. They're the back-to-back motor trend truck of the year. But beneath that hardened exterior, the Ram 1500 offers a standard of comfort with rear legroom designed for a comfortable lead. And the available rear auto leveling air suspension found on the Ram 3500 is beyond smooth. For big cash allowances and exceptional lease offers, go to Ram.com today. Cool. Well, thank you for listening, uh, and we will be back with you next week. Mm-hmm.